0: I want to introduce these two people to you. This is Greg and Fiona Gardner. Uh, and for many of you, uh, Greg Gardner has been this external elder that's kind of like the Phantom, you know, and it's like we don't even know who he is and we haven't seen him. Well, this is him in the flesh with us today, which is great. Um, Greg's been sitting on our elder board for about two years, a little bit over two years and I think you'd all um, agree with me that God has done some magnificent things over the last two years in the life of this church and I, he's not done yet uh, as far as I know uh, so we're, we're just going to keep going with wherever he's going but the reality is that uh, Greg uh, has actually sat on our elder board at a really, he came at a really, really important time uh, for the church. It was when we were called The Project and we were kind of this hermit crab that was just kind of moving from one place to the next. And he sat in alongside the elders while uh, uh, things changed and a lot of stuff changed. I mean, he was really instrumental in, the, in, in being part of the elder board in, in terms of the purchase of this, of this building and just so many ways that we've grown up as a church that's actually resulted in us having so many people here today. Um, and, and so uh, I could go on and on and on about.
1: Please don't. Um,
0: <laughs> he doesn't want me to, but I could go on about how helpful Greg has been. And, and, you know, sometimes people have said to me, they said, oh, we've got an external elder. So he's probably half an elder. And i like, not if you knew Greg Gardner. He's like two and a half elders, if you know Greg Gardner. So he's a lead pastor down at uh, Disciples Church Springfield and Acts 29 Church. And uh, he's going to preach today. And this weekend is actually his last hurrah as elder of Restoration Church. Uh, he, um, he, he can say whatever he wants to say in a minute. Uh, that's, that's the rights that the preachers have. But um, he, he just feels like the time is right and things are just on a really good footing and a good direction here for him to step off the eldership. And so uh, we, just, we just love him and we love Fiona. And, uh, and Fiona's been just a, a key kind of relational um, support for Ange and I as well. See, no one likes a crying pastor, right? So I'm trying to trying to stop it, <laughs> but uh, it's it's been really significant, really significant for us. So um, we're just thankful to both of you. Thanks for releasing Greg, and please pass on our thanks to uh, Disciples Church as well. Um, can we give him a round of applause? Uh,
1: <clears throat> brother, thank you. Um, Pete's the emotional one of us. Um, uh, Fiona's the emotional. See, they're giving the hug. Um, uh, the Lord has wired your pastor and I very differently, but it means that we work together quite well, and it's been a real privilege for the last two years um, to be a little bit a part of what's been going on here in Toowoomba. In fact, it's been a great pleasure. Um, we came at a time where, yeah, there was some some, some white water. Uh, and the boat was, was knocked around a little bit um, But my goodness, has the Lord done some work over the last two years And I've just been along for the ride It's been great fun And I just love to come here today and to see all you people here And this building that they told me was going to last for a long time May not, if you keep growing in the way that you're growing so, um, th- um, But look, um, it's, it's, it's been great and Fiona and I have enjoyed it And we've just enjoyed the fellowship um, and camaraderie that we have as um, fellow pastors, ministers and friends uh, in the Lord. So um, it's been great. Thank you for welcoming us. Uh, It's been good. Uh, Today I'm going to preach from Psalm 3. And so if you've got a Bible handy, uh, I'd just like to read. It's not very long. It's not like the reading I gave Pete before. Um, Sorry about that, mate. Um, There's just a couple of verses here. So let let me just read you the whole Psalm through and then I'll try and unpack it helpfully for us. So uh, Psalm 3 from verse 1, hear God's word. It says this, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we, we all know that our mental posture just so affects so much of how we approach life and how we deal with life's circumstances. So Holy Spirit, would you use your sword, the word, this morning to encourage us Encourage our hearts, our minds to live in such a way that we we are standing on that, that rock that we sung about earlier. That is you, Jesus. Speak to us this morning in the ways that we need to our hearts. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're here at the beginning of 2023. Summer school holidays are just about done. School's about to launch back in. Uh, Maybe you've had a chance to have a bit of a break, maybe a bit of a holiday and that's kind of all over now and we're, we're launching into calendar year 2023. I wonder how you're feeling about that? The prospect of what's coming your way in 2023, are you feeling a little bit apprehensive, are you feeling a little bit fearful, are you feeling a little bit anxious about what might be coming your way during this particular calendar year? I think you've got every right to feel a bit anxious and a little bit pessimistic. If you're an avid consumer of uh, the news and the media, there is every reason to be a little bit apprehensive about what's coming our way this year. Just just, just look globally for a second. The war between Russia and Ukraine, that's continuing. And if good old Vladimir Putin starts to lose, he's always got the red button that he's going to press. And if that thing goes nuclear, man, what's the world going to look like then? And there's a high likelihood of that. COVID-19, that's still kind of around. We feel like we're kind of hopefully past it and moving forward, but there's hardly a week that goes by where there's not another variant or sub-variant. I mean, I still don't think we know half what we need to know about that thing or even how we're treating it at the moment. So that's still there. That's around the corner. That's lurking. Environmentalists tell us that if we continue to put carbon into the atmosphere... The earth's going to continue to get warmer, and we're going to have more weather catastrophes, more natural disasters. That's coming our way. On the domestic scene, you've probably noticed the cost of living has been going up, interest rates going up. They're a pretty blunt economic instrument. They affect people with young families and people on low incomes the most. And so, cost of living is rising, interest rates continuing to go up there's lots of theories about whether interest rates will go up or down this year but as you look at your bank balance and you look at what's ahead maybe you're a little bit fearful about that on a personal level maybe there's something that you're dealing with of a health nature and you're just wondering is this am I going to get the right specialist this year is this going to go well for me or is this going to just continue to get worse maybe there's some relational conflict in your life and it's just one of those it's one of those kind of relational things that could I, just at the at the at the at the wrong word being said at the wrong time, it just could go really, really well or really, really bad. Maybe you're starting year twelve, big year, big exams, lots of assignments, you're wondering how that's gonna go. Maybe you're at uni, final year there, same deal. Just wondering, am I gonna be able to cope? And am I gonna be able to get this thing across the line? Or maybe you've had a problem at work that the boss just hasn't been dealing with. Maybe the problem is the boss. (laughs) And you're just wondering, is that going to change this year or am I going to have to put up with more of this same old that I've been putting up with for a while? Plenty of things to be pessimistic about. Plenty of things to be worried about, plenty of things to be anxious about. If you were to speak to a psychologist, a psychologist would probably tell you there is plenty going on in our lives, in the world, and maybe in your life that should mean that our our mental health is pretty poor. And that's what's coming our way in 2023. So it's really good this morning that we are getting to look at Psalm 3. Let me tell you a little bit bit about Psalm 3. Before we get into it, I just want to... to give you the context uh behind it because even though it's psalm three um this is and 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 this is a psalm that was written by uh king david the king of the israelites right and you would think that because it was psalm three this might have been one of his early ones right but it wasn't it was one of his late psalms it was probably one of the last psalms that he ever wrote and yet it's there at number three so I want to give you a bit of the context because we're told what the context is. And the context was the reading that Pete gave us just a little bit earlier. So David was the king of the Israelites, about a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene. And he was one of the great kings of Israel. He was a victorious warrior. He had many. God gave him many victories over um, all of their enemies. And he was one of the kings who actually united all of the tribes of Israel. Not many of the kings united all of the tribes together, but he got it together. And he brought about a dynasty that was going to last for generations. In fact, the prophets said that through your line, David, the Messiah would come. So, David's a really important king in the history of, of, of all of the Israelites. He had many wives. That wasn't cool. And he had many children. And there was no established, really, no established tradition at that point. You know how we have, like, when Queen Elizabeth died, Charles, goodness me, became a king, and 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 so there's this, and I think it used to be the eldest male became. The monarch these days, I think we're a bit more egalitarian, and so it's as the eldest child becomes. So they, they hadn't had that established yet in the history of Israel. It was God who did the appointing. God said to Saul, You're the one, and then he said to David, You're the one. And so, really, at that point, they didn't have an established tradition. It was just God appointing who he wanted to be king. So David's got all these wives, he's got all these children, and he's getting old. And so it's his son Absalom, who wasn't the first child, he wasn't even the second, he was the third. He was the third of David's children. I've got a picture of him here. <laughs> Actually, that's Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. Um, but if you read about, uh, if you read about Absalom in, uh, in 2 Samuel, I mean, I just can't read about... No, no, leave that up. That's cool. <laughs> when, you, when you... Thanks, for... when, when When you read about King Absalom, I just can't think of anything but barry gibb and 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 how he looks like because chapter 14 of 2 samuel says he was the most handsome of men (laughs) and he had hair like he just had hair um and and he had this big head of hair and he would only cut that hair once a year because he just loved you know the hair thing so absalom was a bit of a dude And he was positioning himself, he decided unilaterally, no tradition, no God appointing him, he just decides unilaterally, I'm going to be king. And as the reading that Pete brought to us showed, he started to position himself. When everyone came to Jerusalem to get a judgment from the king, to get justice or to see something from the king, Absalom, he's meeting them out there at the gate. And he's kissing the babies, he's kissing the women, and everyone loves him and they think he's great and the women just want him and the men want to be like him. And and so Absalom's the dude. And he's building these allegiances politically, militarily, even religiously. He's starting to put it all together because he's got it in mind. I'm going to be the king. He hires the 50 guys to run in front of him in the chariot. He's doing all these kingly things. And then towards the end of David's life, Absalom decides that he's going to take over as king. The thing thing is, for someone to be king... The other king, the the, the guy who's currently king, he has to die. That's how it works. So what Absalom is saying, in all of his running around, all of his posturing and all of these things that he's doing, he's basically saying, Dad, I want you dead. Because, Dad, I want your position. I want to take over. You're a bit old. This is how it was recorded in 2 Samuel. This is just a reminder of what Pete read to us. So he, Absalom, he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They'd been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counsellor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. So the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing well word gets back to David in Jerusalem hey this is what's happening in Hebron and so David and a bunch of his supporters they end up fleeing Jerusalem David has spent his life fighting for this city he has spent his life building this city and he knows this is probably coming to a fight there's going to be a fight And if we have this fight in the city, it's going to destroy the city. And I love the city too much. So he says to those who are loyal to him and supporting him, we're going to get out of the city. We're going to go somewhere. And if we're going to have to have a fight, we're going to have a fight out in the country. We're not going to do it in the city and destroy everything that I've spent my life working up. And we entered into this really messy period there where people are being forced to choose sides. And you're having to choose between the old guy, the guy who's been king, the guy who's now very frail, like worse than Joe Biden, frail, <laughs> or Absalom, the cool Barry Gibb, staying alive, staying alive, guy who's just got all the, all the people on board and all on side and, and you're trying to decide, which, which way am I going to go here? Going with the old guy or I go with the new guy? And the thing is, if you make the wrong decision, one of, them, one of them's going to die at the end of this. This is, this is how it usually goes. And if you make the wrong if you supported the wrong guy and he's the guy that dies... Well, how's that going to go for you in the future when I mean, you supported the guy that didn't ultimately become king or stay king? So they go into this whole messy period. People being forced to take sides. And look, you've got to say, from a human perspective, I mean, if you're just looking at it, just purely from a human perspective, you look at just the, the, the two guys, one's old, one's young. David's got the history, but Absalom's got all the momentum. Everyone's kind of joining his new, young, happening thing. And it very much looked like David's life and his reign as king was over. That was his prospect. As he looked forward into the future, as he looked down the track of his life, that's what David was looking looking at. High likelihood, I'm going to die here. So if you think that your circumstances are a little grim, I want you to spare a bit of a thought for what King David was having to deal with at this time. Here's the thing, King David wrote Psalm 3 in the middle of all of this. At the time where he was fleeing for his life from his ambitious son Absalom. And so what Psalm 3 does, it just gives us this beautiful insight into what's going on in David's mind. This, this man who, yes, he made a few mistakes in his life, but he was described by a man, uh, as a man after God's own heart. And so as he faces all of these terrible circumstances, Psalm 3 just gives us this picture inside to his mind. What, what is he thinking? What's going on in his heart in the middle of all of this? So with that introduction, let's get into the sermon. and said to me, how long are you going to preach? I said, don't worry. <laughs> Verse 1, O oh Lord... How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So, if you flick back in your Bibles, maybe just a page, you get Psalm 1. And there in Psalm, we don't really know who wrote Psalm 1. Uh, Many think it was David. But in Psalm 1, you have the psalmist saying, What joy for those who do not follow the advice of the wicked! What joy! So you might think that it's a tad ironic that the guy who potentially wrote Psalm 1 is now in a situation where his very life is on the line. But I love this dichotomy and I think this, this, this serves us really, really well because, get this, listen to me. Delighting in the law of the Lord and experiencing His blessing and joy is actually no guarantee of a trouble-free life. Write that down. Delighting in the law of the Lord and experiencing his blessing and his joy is not a guarantee of a trouble-free life. If you became a Christian because you think you are joining up for a life of ease and comfort, man, you need to reread the New Testament. Because we are not promised that. We are not promised that at all in this life. The next life, yes. When Jesus comes back to gather us all together and take us to the new heavens and the new earth, that's the place where there will be comfort and ease. That's the place where we get to walk with Jesus. That's the place where there's no more brokenness and evil and sin. and, And that's the place that will be amazing and glorious. But right now, in this time that we are in, these last days, the New Testament calls them, what are we promised? Suffering that's what we promised suffering trouble yeah nothing good Use a golfing analogy par for the course is suffering if you experience any kind of ease and comfort in your life man that's a birdie that's an eagle that's God just being very gracious and very kind Paul says we join him in his suffering so that we might join him in his glory even though David's joy was in the Lord and he sought to delight in his commandments, he now finds himself in this terrible situation. Absalom's recruited hundreds of influential supporters. This isn't a Donald Trump rally. These are are really influential people. Political, military, religious. They're all the key guys. they all used to support David. And now he's recruiting them to his campaign... To become the king. All of these people have decided that it's time for David to go. And when I say go, I don't mean, Hey David, we've we've built a nice little villa for you up on the Sea of Galilee. Time to retire. No, it's time to go. We're going to kill you. We're going to take you out. So no wonder he cries out to the Lord here and he says, How many rise up against me? How many rise up against me? And he even acknowledges the wisdom of the day. Verse 2, he's he's, he's saying, everyone's saying this isn't going to work. Everyone's saying, David, you're a goner. Everyone is saying this coup d'etat is going to be successful. The human wisdom, which is why everyone is now getting on board with Absalom, is that David, your days are done, you're cooked. So David hasn't got his head in the sand He's he's, he's well aware of the situation. He's well aware of the trouble that he's in. He's he's very aware of how this is probably going to roll out. He knows how bad it looks. And yet, and yet, the very next word in this psalm is the word, but. Check it, verse 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. So here's the deal. David knows how bad the situation is. But friends, David is the OG of living by faith and not by sight, right? You remember David, right? David and Goliath, right? This was the guy who, when he was a little boy... He went to visit his brothers because his dad said, here, take some food to your brothers. They're fighting against the Philistines. You need to go and feed them. So he takes the food and when he gets there, what he finds is the Philistine army lined up on one side, the Israelite army lined up on the other side. And David's going, what's the problem? And they said, well, there's this big dude called Goliath and he comes out every morning and he says, hey, instead of us all fighting, why don't you just send one of your men out to fight me? And if he wins, well, then we'll be your slaves. But if I win, you're our slaves. And David says again, uh, so what's the problem? And they go, well, look at the dude. And David looks and sees this giant of a man, Goliath. And he says, and so what's the problem? None of the Israelites had the guts to go and fight him. And David couldn't believe it. He's like, what, what, what is your problem? What is your problem, guys? You serve the Lord Almighty. God is on your side. I don't care how big the guy is. Send someone out to fight him. They're all scared. David says, I'll do it. So he goes out. He's got his little Shanghai with him, picks up a stone, flings it at Goliath, hits him in the head, knocks him down, gets his sword, cuts his head off. It's all done. Everybody's amazed except David. It's just another day at the office. Kills lions and bears every day. Why? Because he thinks God's on my side. He knows God's on his side. David always had more faith in God than in what the circumstances presented as. Always did. And here in the twilight years of his life, David's faith, you know what? It hasn't changed. It hasn't diminished. Yep, everything looks really bad. But God... God is his shield. God is the one who holds him up. God is the one who will answer him when he cries out for help. God is his strength. And what a game changer it is when your faith in God is that strong. And for David, this wasn't just wishful thinking. And it wasn't just nice public theology, but underneath it all, like he's going home saying to his wife, I am absolutely crap scared. No. Because, and here, listen to me, write this one down. David allowed his theology to inform his psychology. David allowed his theology to inform his psychology. Have a look at this. Next verse. Verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Now the few hundred men that Absalom had, had gathered um, in, in, in Hebron quickly turns into thousands. Um, but, that, but that didn't matter to David. It wouldn't matter to David. It, it, whether it was hundreds, whether it was thousands, they would be no match for God. Not for David, but for God who was the Lord of heaven's armies. And so what does David do? He's he asleep. I was going to go to bed. I'm going to have a sleep. I've got a thousand, thousands and thousands of men about to march against me, but I think I'll have a nap. And he goes and he lies down. He isn't up all night worrying. His body isn't such a stress ball that he can't physically get to sleep. No, he sleeps soundly and safely in the knowledge that God would be watching over him. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. I think it's a very beautiful picture of faith in practice. In the face of one of the most stressful situations that you could think of, where your life is literally on the line, David is a sea of calm because he lets his theology drive his psychology friends today i just I, i want to encourage you to live with that kind of faith i don't think psalm 3 is in the bible to show us how good david is i think psalm 3 is in the bible to show us how good god is and how god can be trusted which means this is a good thing which means we can also exercise this level of faith. Why? Because God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He was almighty back then in David's day, and he is still almighty today. He hasn't, he hasn't lost it. He's not getting old. He wasn't almighty back then, but now he's quite, not quite up to the task. No, God is still almighty. God is still all-powerful. God is still in control, and God is still in the business of keeping his promises to his people. And the prospect of David-like faith, that is available to all of us. It is. Because God is still God. You trusting God for that. Live with that level of confidence. Live with that level of boldness. And so David ends what... It's effectively a prayer. I mean, this turned into a Hebrew song, but... But it's effectively a prayer. And he ends it like this, verse 7. He says, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Um, the, th- one, two, the third and fourth lines here, kind of interesting, sound a little bit violent, although they're, they're, not, they're not as bad as a lot of things that you might read in the book of Psalms. Um, these, uh, a couple of lines, they could have inverted commas around them, really. This, this is using some judicial language. Uh, commentators refer to a lot of ancient Near Eastern um, 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 court cases, effectively. And, and this language is used when, when you don't want the, the person that you're accusing, you don't want them to die for the thing that you've taken them to court for. You just want them to get a smack in the mouth. You know, you, you, you want them to be publicly shamed in a way. Um, um, you, you want them to suffer a little bit publicly, but you don't want them to die. And so as, as, as uh, David comes before the Lord, he loves, David loves Absalom. Like everybody else, he, he, he thinks Absalom's great. But, he just, but he's not sure that God wants him to be king. And so as he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me because they're coming to kill me. His prayer isn't, so I want you to go and kill Absalom. His prayer is, no, I just, just give the boy a smack in the mouth, please. That's essentially what he's saying. Now, if you keep reading in 2 Samuel through to chapter 19, you'll see that God does grant victory ultimately to David. So he answers the prayer and he gives David the victory, but he doesn't quite answer the prayer the way that David has prayed it here. through a series Of events, you've got those who are military, loyal to David, military, loyal to Absalom, and they end up having a big fight. And in the process of that, Absalom is killed and David is vindicated and remains king. Ultimately, it's his son Solomon who succeeds him and Solomon ushers in what is arguably probably the golden years of the kingdom of Israel. That was God's plan. It wasn't for Absalom to be king. And David knew that he could trust in the Lord for the outcome that God wanted. Which, by the way, if that outcome was for Absalom to be king, then David would have been fine with that too. You might have picked that up at the end of the reading that Pete gave us as they're they're running away. David's basically saying, look, I, I know we brought the Ark of the Covenant with us, you know, nice, thanks guys, good work, but take it back, take it back to the temple, take it back, um, uh, not to the temple, but take it back into the city. Um, If God wants me back, he'll bring me back. But if God wants Absalom as king, then that's, that's cool with me as well. You see, success isn't getting the outcome that we want. Success is trusting God for the outcome that he will bring about. That's another one to grab hold of. Success isn't... Getting the outcome that we want, success is trusting God for the outcome that he will bring about. Friends, that needs to be at the core of our faith. That needs to be one of the things, at least, at the core of our faith. Because as I said before, following Jesus, that isn't a guarantee of a trouble-free life, or it's not even a guarantee of a long life. Trusting in God means that you're trusting in the outcome that God's ordained And trusting that that outcome is going to be the best outcome. And if God is God, then then we should not only be satisfied with that outcome, but we should delight in it. We should delight in it. And if that outcome is not at the core of your faith, then you're going to find yourself wrestling with God. Because sometimes we, we get into a situation, and there's this particular circumstance, and we've decided for ourselves what the outcome should be in order to, to to make things better and so we've got this thing going on and we've decided no this this needs to happen my boss needs to get sacked you know if, if that happens and he goes then, then then everything's going to be great you know at work but that might not be god's outcome god's outcome might be that well he's going to leave that guy there and and there's some other purpose that god's got uh, for you, or for him, or for both of you, or, or whatever that might be. And if, if, if your attitude is always, well, the only outcome that I want is for my, my solution to get through, if that's the only way, you know, that's the only thing that you want to have happen, then you're going to find yourself wrestling with God. Read about Jacob, how that turns out. Long term. You, you, you just—it's—it's it's just a wrestle. it Doesn't end. It's—it's it's, there's there's anxiety. There's more tension. It's just ongoing on. There's no joy in it. I don't watch wrestling. I saw it once at the Olympics. They didn't have joy on their faces. There's no joy in the wrestle. So success is. Trusting God for the outcome that he's going to bring about. Just just trusting him for that. Just like David did. If I'm I'm to stay on as king, great. If Absalom's to be king, great. I just trust God. You, You got this, Lord. So Psalm 3 is kind of a testimony for exercising faith in the middle of what might appear to be a pretty hopeless situation. And maybe as you look at the world, and maybe as you look at a particular circumstance in your life right now, Maybe that's how you're feeling. You're feeling pretty hopeless. You're feeling like this is a pretty tough situation. But if your faith is in Christ, and look, let me just pause and unpack that a little bit, because there might be someone, I don't know you are. there's like a handful of people here I know, so I'm just not going to assume that you're all, that you're all Christians. Um, what I mean by faith in Christ means that you're trusting in Jesus for your eternal life. You're... Not thinking that you're good enough to get to heaven, that you're good enough to have a relationship with God. If you're in Christ, what, you, what you're saying is, no, I'm not good enough for any of that, but I'm, uh, and I need a saviour, but I have a saviour in Jesus. And when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, you know what happens? We swap records. He takes my record of sin, and the wages of sin is death. Jesus takes that to the cross, and he dies on our behalf. And he gives me his record. What's his record? Sinlessness, righteousness. He gives that to us. And God God looks at us and he sees us righteous and beautiful. He says, wow, you look beautiful. Because we bear the righteousness of Christ. And so when I say, if you have faith in Christ, if you are in Christ, and that's what I mean about that, that your your faith and trust is in Jesus. You've repented of your sins. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. He's dealt with your sin. He went to the cross and paid the debt that you you should have to pay for for your sin, but he paid it on your behalf. And you are now free and you're clothed in his righteousness. And you, eternal life is yours. There's nothing surer of it. Because Jesus has done it all. We're not, we're not hoping he'll one day do it. He's done it. He's done it. It's all done. It's finished, he said. So if your faith is in Christ, then you now have the means of living in such a way that your circumstances should not dictate how you're feeling. Ooh. That's fresh. Jesus contrasted the way of faith with the way of despair like this. This is our last Bible passage. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 to 27. This little parable. He says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Friends, in this metaphor, the house represents your life. Jesus is the rock. The sand represents faithlessness. The wind and the waves, well, they represent all the situations and circumstances that we may find ourselves as we live in this broken, fallen world. Psalm 3, Psalm 3 is really a description of this parable being put into practice, isn't it? If you think about it. David had some pretty severe wind and waves beating against the house of his life. But his life was built on the bedrock of his faith in the Lord. And we've seen how that just made all the difference. Just made all the difference. So, as we look ahead at what might be coming down the track for us in 2023, my encouragement to you this morning, in fact I think the encouragement of Psalm 3 to all of us this morning, is that despite how bleak that situation might appear to be, faith gives us the means to look at that situation in a whole new light and you know what that means we can sleep we can sleep we don't have to be a mess of worry and despair but instead we can be like david and we can cry out to the lord and we can be very real with the Lord about what the circumstance or situation might be. We can be, be very honest with him. And, and the book of Psalms is very raw. It's very honest about uh, uh, what the psalmists are, are going through. So God doesn't want us to sugarcoat it. He wants us to be really real with him. He wants us to cry and say, Lord, this looks bad. This looks like I'm done for all money. All the human wisdom that I am being given right now just says this is over and Maybe my life is over, this, my job is over, my health is over, whatever it might be. It just looks really, really bad. Be honest with God. But at the same time, as we're being that honest, we can exercise faith and we can say like David, Lord, but you are the shield around me. You've got my back. You've said that you'll work all things together for my good. You've said that nothing is ever going to separate me from your love. And you have said that you're going to bring me home to heaven. So I am not going to be afraid. My life is built on the solid rock of Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He died for me on the cross so that I could have eternal life. And God, if you're prepared to die for me, then I have every confidence that there is nothing that you wouldn't do to, as David said, hold me up. If you have a Christian friend who's going through something at the moment and they're feeling a little bit of a a sense of despair right now, um, would you do them a really big favour and just remind them of these truths this week? Get alongside them. Because sometimes we need help to remember that we're standing on the rock. Sometimes we're like the kids in the swimming pool. Have you ever seen a kid and, and they're at, the, at the very shallow end of the swimming pool and they're just flailing, like they're just arms, legs, going, trying to tread water, water oh, I'm going to drown, whatever, whatever, and you're just like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, Ben, 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 stand up. And they stand up and the water's up to about here. Sometimes we're like that. The wind and the waves, everything's coming our way, and we just start flailing. We're flailing around, and our arms and our legs, everything's going everywhere. And we just need to say to our friend, Stand up. You're on the rock. Stand on the rock that is Jesus. He's under you, He's got you, He's made all these promises to you. The wind and the waves, they can look big, they can look mighty sometimes. And we can start to be afraid. So this is where we need to encourage one another. This is where community groups are so important. Because if today is the day that you need to speak to your friend about something, I guarantee it the day will come where they need to speak to you. Because there are going to be some wind and waves in your life and you're going to need them to tell you, hey, just stand on the rock. Trust in Jesus. Know all the promises that he's made to you. No, not for a long life. No, not for a... A life with an absence of suffering or trials, but it's an eternal life. And he'll keep you and he'll bring you home. We build one another up in the faith. It makes all the difference. Friends, our victory doesn't come from being able to outwit, outplay or overpower the problems in our life by our own strength, by our own cunning our victory, our victory over Satan, sin and death, which is what Jesus gives us, our victory over life in this broken and fallen world, it all comes through Jesus. And when we exercise that faith in him, well, our life just won't collapse like the house that's built on sand. It'll stand strong and it'll stay strong until Jesus takes us home to heaven. We should live with that sort of confidence, confidence that shows that we have faith in a mighty God, a mighty God who has come very close and become very personal with us. And so we can now walk in the security of his sovereign grace and his sovereign care over us. That's it, I'm finished, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful promises, that no matter what Life sends our way in 2023 that you are, you are our shield. You are the one who surrounds us. You've got our back. You are the one who is going to lift us up. And Lord, we, 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 we fully realize that that's not a guarantee of a long life or uh, even an absence of suffering. But Lord, to just know that you are our God and you love us and you've saved us, means that we can, in the middle of whatever it is we're going through, we can live with joy because we know the future. We know what you've done. We know where we're going. We, we know how this is going to play out right at the end. God, would you help us to trust you for the outcomes of all those little situations in our life, whether it's school, job, health, relationships? God, would you help us to push into... Um, the way david did of just trusting you for the outcome that you will bring about just help us to keep walking in faith in trust in obedience lord we want to bring glory to you in 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 our lives and how we live our lives and we and we we just want to be a witness that those who who don't know you will will see us walking with that kind of faith and just want some of that want to know the joy that we know even in the middle of life in a fallen world God, work in us by your Spirit. Thank you for Jesus, our Saviour. We ask it all for his glory. And everybody said, Amen.